You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Good morning, everyone. Thank you again for joining us for our online service. Today, we'll finally be concluding Exiles, our sermon series through the book of Daniel. And as we've journeyed through the book, we've certainly found Daniel to be a prime example of how we can live hopefully, faithfully, and resiliently for God in the face of crisis and exile. In fact, even in the face of death, we learn that, that Daniel and his friends were able to continually stand firm in their faith and they persevered in their calling to be a remnant of God's truth in a strange land. And and if we think about it, this is quite a feat. I mean to think that in the city of Babylon, a city that's set against God, an empire bent on conforming and assimilating Daniel and his friends into their culture and into their way of life, yet they never forget their true home and their true identity as children of God. David Kinnaman and Mark Matlock write, Exiles who remain faithful to their true home are important during times when society undergoes fundamental change, especially when the broader social stresses to conform reach a fever pitch. They play a critical role in reminding us how to stay on the path of faithfulness. So the book of Daniel exemplifies this and reminds us that the call of the exile is to remain faithful to their true home. And because Daniel remains faithful to his true home, not only in his longing for home, but but in his identity and in his actions and obedience to God, he then ends up playing a critical role in not only modeling and leading God's people to be faithful and repentant in the midst of exile, but also in influencing the, the culture and the kings of Babylon in God's name. And in the same way, we're called as Christians to remain faithful to our true home as well. Philippians 3, 20-21 reminds us of our true home when it says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. You know, for some of us during this, this pandemic, this time of isolation, it might feel, you might be feeling like, like, like your houses have become like prisons, like, like we want to get out, right, and end the madness. And even this is a reminder for us that our earthly homes aren't what we long for either. As Christians, we're citizens of heaven. We long for our heavenly home. And, and so, as I said at the beginning of this series, we're homesick. We want this exile to end. Especially these days, for me anyways, as we live in this world, it seems like there's an ever-increasing sense that we're not of it. Or at least that this home isn't the way it's supposed to be. Like Daniel and his friends in Babylon, we're also living in a culture which increasingly and and ever boldly pressures us to compromise or conform our faith to look like them. And if we don't, we're likely to be demonized in public or on social media as being bigoted or labeled as uncritically stupid or ignorant or old-fashioned. As it says in 1 Peter 4.4, With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And so they malign you. So when we follow after Christ, 
the world will wonder why we don't join in with them. Why we don't follow along with their systems and lifestyles and ideologies. And so like kids on a playground making fun of the odd one out, they slander us, they, they mock us. And don't get me wrong, it's not, it's not like we're being physically persecuted as Christians in, in the Western world or, or that we have it as rough as other Christians throughout the world. We're not hopeless victims here, but nonetheless, it, it, it definitely feels like less and less like we're at home. Like less and less people want us around. This is why Tim Chester and Steve Timmis write that Christians are like immigrants, foreigners, temporary residents, refugees. We do not belong. We do not have the rights of citizens. We are outsiders. We are living on the edge of the culture. And so we're homesick. It also seems like as, as Daniel gets on in his age, he too becomes increasingly homesick. In fact, in Daniel chapter 9, he's led to get on his knees in repentance before God on behalf of all the Jews in exile to ask God to bring them home. He's looking and longing for an end to his exile, not just for himself, but for all of God's people. And while this Babylonian exile does eventually come to an end, we can also assume from what we read in Daniel that, that Daniel doesn't ever get to experience this promise. He most likely never gets to go home to Jerusalem. He most likely dies in Babylon. But yet, he's not abandoned. Far from it. In, in fact, we learn that his exile does eventually end, but not in death, in life. And so as we get into the last chapter of Daniel 12, we'll find then that there's something deeper going on here, that behind the visible Babylonian exile, there's actually a deeper, more problematic and invisible exile at play. We'll find that our true exilic condition isn't just national or physical, but it's spiritual. And therefore, we'll find that ultimately the true end to our exile actually comes in the form of resurrection. So on that end, let's dig into the last chapter of Daniel. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 12. We'll start in verse 1. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 to 13. And it says, At that time, Michael, the great prince who stands watch over your people, will rise up. There will be a time of distress such as never has occurred since nations came into being until that time. But at that time, all your people who are found written in the book will escape. Many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life and some to disgrace and eternal contempt. Those who have insight will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, keep these words secret and seal the book until the time of the end. Many will roam about, and knowledge will increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and two others were standing there, one on this bank of the river and one on the other. One of them said to the man dressed in linen, who was above the water of the river, How long until the end of these wondrous things? Then I heard the man dressed in linen, who was above the water of the river. He raised both his hands toward heaven and swore by him who lives eternally that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people is shattered, all these things will be completed. I heard, but did not understand. So I asked, My Lord, what will be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go on your way, Daniel, 
for the words are secret and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. None of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. From the time the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Happy is the one who waits for and reaches 1,335 days. But as for you, go on your way to the end. You will rest, and then you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance at the end of the days. All right, so this chapter starts out by informing us that there's a spiritual battle going on over the forces of darkness. And this is something that, that, that I think we're going to expand on in the coming weeks in a new series, so look forward to that. Anyways, in, in Daniel's vision, Michael, the, the prince of angels, needs to step in because the spiritual battle is so great. But we're also informed that this spiritual warfare against God will continually manifest itself in the kings and kingdoms of the world, Babylonian archetypes that rise up throughout history, who pridefully set themselves up against God and therefore against God's people. In fact, the actions of King Antiochus IV, who we learned about last week, is actually just a sample or, or forerunner of the tribulation and distress that will come upon God's people in the last days. Jesus also used similar imagery to warn his disciples about the coming persecution and abomination of desolation of Christians by King Nero in 70 AD, but also about the desolation that will be brought about when the Antichrist shows up in the time of tribulation. Of course, this is expanded more on more in the book of Revelation. And on that end, there's lots that we fully don't understand and we won't understand until these things happen. But one thing is clear as we read through Daniel, that Babylon, in some form or another, will continually rear its ugly head as history unfolds. Kings and kingdoms who rise up in the place of others and set themselves up against God will continue to show up throughout history, oppressing God's people. Until, as it says in Revelation and through Daniel, until Jesus, the Son of Man, returns in righteous judgment to crush Babylon once and for all and establish his eternal kingdom in full. This means that as we live for Christ today and follow after him today, we should expect seasons and times of suffering and trial. This is the world we live in. This is exile. So we have to ask, are we ready for this? Are we ready to stand firm and even suffer for Christ if need be, if it comes to that? I mean, even today with the rise of post-Christian ideologies, we're experiencing a similar Babylonian-type culture rise up and seemingly dominate the landscape of politics and education and media. A culture that seeks to create utopia, tolerance, and society without God. A culture that seeks self-centered autonomy, as a means to freedom and happiness. And so as a result, those who follow after God then cannot be tolerated. Those who refuse to take part in the systems and ideologies of a world which sets itself up against God must then be pushed aside or conformed or maligned. Again, this is the same pattern of prideful rebellion in the hearts of man that's been in place since Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden, since Cain killed Abel, since the city of Babel was built in prideful defiance to God. 
And this is a pattern which will continue to play out in the hearts of man until the kingdom come. And therefore, until the day of the Lord, until Jesus returns, we need to recognize that our exile will never truly be over. And it's true that throughout history, as the passage says, we'll see, we'll see pockets of revival. It says that many will be purified and, and come to God. But yet, all the while, the wicked will still act wickedly. But on a, on a positive note, we're, we're also reminded in this passage that alongside every moment of trouble is also a divine promise from God for renewal, a promise to end our exile. As Mark Sayers writes, as we study how God brings renewal throughout history, we begin to see the pattern that crisis plays in renewal. Crises and the transitions that they bring are one of the critical ways that God uses to move us. Renewal follows periods of crisis, change, and transition. So in other words, like we've seen with King Nebuchadnezzar and the whole nation of Judah, times of suffering and hardship can often cause us to see our foolishness and wise up. Times of trial can cause us to finally acknowledge our sin or our pride and our weakness, and therefore our need for God to, to redeem us and to move. As Thomas A. Kempis once wrote, it is good for us to encounter troubles and adversities from time to time, for trouble often compels a man to search his own heart. It reminds him that he is in exile here and that he can put his trust in nothing in this world. And as I've said before, as, as we're currently living in this time of crisis, as we struggle through this pandemic, each of us in our own unique circumstances, I believe it, as Mark Sayers writes, that, that this crisis is, is ripe with opportunity, opportunity to show Christ's love and generosity and compassion and to plant seeds of the gospel for a harvest to follow. I believe, as I've been saying since this series started in November, that God's preparing us in this moment for a time of renewal. But only if we're willing to get on our knees in repentance and contend for God and his spirit to move. Because if we seek his face, he will rescue us. He will bring us into renewal. On that note, in the passage, it says that following the height of tribulation against God's people, that there will be a time of rescue. It says, all God's people who are written in the book of life will escape. And verses 2 to 3 explains this. Daniel 12, verses 2 to 3 says, Many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life, but some to disgrace and eternal contempt. And those who have insight will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. What a glorious picture. But this, this also means that the true end to our exile isn't getting home to Jerusalem. The true and ultimate end to our exile comes in the form of resurrection. When we're brought into our eternal home, the new Jerusalem. And in the last verse of the whole book, this is the same promise that God gives to Daniel. Verse 13 says, But as for you, go on your way to the end. You will rest, and then you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance at the end of the days. It says he will rest. In other words, he'll die. 
in Babylon. He won't get to see or or take part in the end of the Babylonian exile that God promised his people. He won't get to go back to Jerusalem and, and see the temple rebuilt. But yet, God's promise to him is that his exile will surely end. But his escape is not in death. Rather, it's in eternal life. After he rests, it says, then he will rise to receive his inheritance. And so again, the final lesson we learn from Daniel is that there is an end to exile. But it doesn't come in the form of nationalism or physical freedom or democracy or tolerance or humanism or earthly kingdoms. It comes in the form of resurrection. And this is because nothing on earth can save us from what we're truly enslaved to. Because the root of our true exile has existed since man was cast out of the garden and from the presence of God. And therefore the root problem of our exile from God's presence is our sin, which leads to death. But as we just celebrated at Easter a couple weeks ago, we know that it was Jesus who proclaimed, I am the resurrection and the life. When Jesus said this, he wasn't implying that he was just going to raise people from the dead. He was proclaiming to be the end of our exile. He was proclaiming to be the Son of Man, prophesied in Daniel, who would come on the clouds in triumph over sin and death and and come in righteous judgment, who would crush the powers of Babylon once and for all and usher all God's people into the eternal kingdom of God, which cannot be shaken, into the new Jerusalem. Jesus is the end to our exile. And on that note, we can also say that Jesus was an even better Daniel who who lived a perfectly obedient life to the Father and yet gave his life on the cross for our sin, conquering both sin and death in his resurrection, who was raised up from death by the Spirit of God, not just for himself, but for all who would believe in his name. John 3, 14 to 17 says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So by his grace, all who believe in Jesus' name by faith can receive not only forgiveness of our sins, but also the same promise that was given to Daniel, that though we'll die, we shall yet rise on the day of the Lord, at the end of our exile, and receive a glorious inheritance. And this is what 1 Peter, 3, 1 Peter 1, 3-5 is all about. As it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. The revelation of Jesus Christ is the end of our exile. But until that time, as God tells Daniel at the end of the passage as well, we're called to go on our way. What that means for Daniel is keep doing what you're doing. Keep living faithfully and obediently. Keep living as as an ambassador of God in the midst of Babylon. Keep living as if you've received the promise of home. 
And this is our calling as Christians as well, to live as if we're already home, to live as ambassadors of Christ and the kingdom of God, to take hold of the eternal life which we've already been given and then live it out for the world to see, to be remnants or or beacons of Christ's light in the darkness, to walk by the Spirit, not by flesh, to be in the world, but not of it. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego displayed for us With our allegiance to Christ and the kingdom of God, we we can no longer bow to the world, to, to the idols, ideologies, and constructs of a culture that sets itself up against God. Rather, our mandate as exiles, especially with the knowledge of how it's all gonna end, is to both proclaim and show the world a different way, a way that leads to life. David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons again write, Following Jesus radically redefines the ideas by which good faith Christians live. Our relationship with our Creator is reflected in our words and actions. Our faith demands that we adopt a way of life that honors our King. And in some cases, we have to get weird. This isn't easy. Who wants to be the odd man out, right? But demonstrating allegiance to King Jesus creates uneasy moments, and we need not seek them out. Merely by faithfully following Christ, we will stand in opposition to a culture that demands our fidelity. So to put it simply, we are Christian exiles sent into the world to reveal and proclaim the kingdom of God to a digital Babylon attempting to create a utopian kingdom apart from God. This is the reality of being an exile. Until we reach the end, we're meant to live counterculturally to the world, to show them a different way. And again, this is also naturally going to create some issues and conflict once in a while. As Kinnaman and Lyons write, we don't seek out conflict, but when the commitments and claims we've made diverge from those of the majority culture, we don't hesitate to stand out. So again, are we willing to stand out, to show them a different way, to show them the only way, no matter the cost? Because there, there will be a cost as we stand in opposition to our culture. And this is what, what it means to be in exile, to stand out and even suffer for the sake of Christ. Alternatively, the, the temptation and the scheme of, of the devil is to make us feel uncomfortable, to, to make us think that this isn't worth it, to tempt us to adopt and rely on the systems and pleasures of the world, or, or to even just break down or resolve so we give up. And so whether we realize it or not, as Christians, as cultural and religious exiles in a world, in this world, that's... it's. We're in a world that's using every available means to distract us from our faith, to normalize much of what the Bible calls sin, and to culturally assimilate or indoctrinate those of us who just might have different opinions or values. In other words, like Daniel and his friends, we live in a culture that's consistently forcing us to make a decision to to be determined in our faith or to go along with the way of the world. And it's this example of faithful determination in the midst of Babylon which we see in Daniel and his friends. And it's definitely inspiring. But yet we need more than an example if we're going to live with boldness and faith until the day of the Lord. Jesus knew this as well. Which is why after he commanded his disciples to go into all the world to to teach about all he said and to make disciples of all nations, then he said to them, and I will be with you 
to the end of the age. And what he meant by this is that he would send a helper. He would send his spirit to dwell within them until the end of exile. To empower them to to go forth in faithful boldness and wisdom. To sanctify them and draw them deeper into the truth and likeness of Christ. And into the knowledge and awareness of the presence of God. To guide them and, and comfort them. And uphold them in their trials. To give them the heart of God to love and seek peace and justice to empower them to confront and and resist the forces of darkness and to influence the culture and world around them with the hope and truth of Christ, to empower them to keep running the race that's been set out before them so that they can not only survive as exiles, but thrive as ambassadors and proclaimers of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And in the same way, we don't live like exiles and strangers in this world who have no power or hope. Quite the opposite. But rather, as as Mark Sayers again writes, Christians live life in the Spirit before a watching world. We are not called to retreat from the world, nor embrace it, but to live on earth as it is in heaven. We are citizens of both, but our citizenry in heaven, being eternal, usurps and entirely alters our citizenry on earth. Our exile is life in the Spirit, but that spiritual life is exceedingly practical. So the end of our exile is eternal life through resurrection. But until then, our current exile is life in the Spirit. So just like Daniel, even as we hope for the end of our exile, and as we're empowered by the Spirit of God, let's resolve to move forth with boldness to proclaim the source of that hope and life to the world. Until that day, let our lives in exile be a proclamation of Jesus Christ, of the King of kings, and of his kingdom come.